Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. I'm joined this week again virtually by Jack Howard. I'm here Hello. in my shoe cupboard in Hampshire. Jack is in... Well, you're in, in London, Greece. but you, you put Greece up a today. backdrop. Yeah, what's what, so good because okay, we're recording this uh, as a podcast, obviously, so it's it's the audio. But due to the miracle of the internet, we're able to watch each other through a video link. Which, incidentally, if you go to the Patreon page, the Kermode on Film Patreon page, you can see all this glorious stuff happening. And Jack, for reasons which fail me, has put up a background that suggests that he is currently in Greece. Yeah, you know, I just I just don't get out much at the moment, and I thought if you're going to be anywhere, or indeed at all, exotic. Yeah, no, not at all. No, no, just once a day to go to the shops. <laughs> Uh, or a daily exercise, which I don't really do. <laughs> and your daily exercise appears to consist of changing the background on your video thing, so it looks like you're in Greece. My fingers oh, are getting a, a big workout in all this. Okay, I'm still that in the same a bit, office. A bit weird. Can you see? Yes, can you see my? Can you see my office, Jack? Are you I can see your office. It? Yeah. Okay. Shall what I show you that you've got? Uh, that one's Jeremy, which is mm. one of my favourite films of all time. That is a poster for William Friedkin's The Sorcerer. Sorcerer, okay. not the sorcerer, sorcerer, which is uh, something which I really love. Um, over, if I turn this thing, so over here, there's a, that's a collectible uh, Exorcist poster, which you can't really see. I wish I'll show you this though. <clears throat> my, my, actually, I can't. I've got a. I would show you, but it re requires too much. Memory. I've got, a, I've got. A, Paddy Considine gave me a, a face mark, a mold of Linda Blair's face from the Exorcist dummy. Oh wow! That he got from a guy in Hollywood. He gave it to me for my fiftieth birthday, and that's in a package which is behind there, but it's all sealed up in it. If I try and get it, everything will fall apart. I've got this. You won't recognise this. This is this is a Kermode Award. Oh, that's from the a Culture no! Show. I know what a Kermode Amazing. Award is. Yeah. Look. <laughs> Look at that! That's great. <laughs> I know. It's, it's got it's a little statue one... of yourself. <laughs> I have. Yeah, that's how egotistical I am. It's the one that was left over. I got look this. Mark. Hang on, look. What have you got? That is a poster of can you zoom in i can't zoom in uh oh it's exercise and videotape it's oh that's it fine okay yes that's um who you sent me a weird thing about about the voiceover on, of gina yeah. carana T in, in tell the listeners that story so yeah. what's the story so how do you pronounce her name again who's in sex life? i can never pronounce it um uh San Giacomo, Laura San Giacomo. Laura San Giacomo, yeah, okay. So in Haywire, which is the movie yeah. that you gave your third slot, I think, to yeah, which the, I loved, on the yeah, Soderbergh list, loved. Yeah. which I'm, I'm working my way through Soderbergh's movies still, and I still haven't seen that one, but I am okay. loving this binge watch. But it's I was great, looking, um, like, I, honestly, like Soderbergh might be my favourite. He is just the king. Uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit in a second. Okay. But I was looking into Haywire because I was interested because you named it your third favourite. Um, yeah, yeah. It's great, isn't it? It's Well, no, I haven't seen it yet. I, still, okay, I haven't seen it yet. Um, but I was looking into it to see a bit more about it, because I, I always just thought from the poster and everything, I was judging a book by its cover. It looked a yeah. bit average to me. Yeah. Um, so, But <laughs> now I'm really average. interested to watch it. But I read, um, I think it was just on Wikipedia. I'm trying to find it. Um, yeah, here we go. During post-production, Carano's voice was digitally altered to be deeper... Uh, and with some of her dialogue redubbed by an uncredited Laura Sangiacomo. Sangiacomo. I'll let you say it. But yeah, that's <laughs> that's interesting, isn't it? Like she just came in and did some voice work for that movie. Yeah. I had no idea about that at all. That 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 is that is really terrific. I had absolutely no idea. Yeah. So I, it, I will I will give you an update on on Haywire when I've seen it. But you'll just really to kick enjoy this off, it. Like 
so today we're doing underrated films. Yeah, because... so we decided that we both choose five really underrated films that we love, and and we just talk about you know why we love them and what you know whether why they are underrated. So I think the way to do this is to probably alternate. So you know you do one, I'll do one. Mm-hmm. So do you want to kick off because you were you were about to then? I was just yeah, going to sure. set, the, set it up. So there we go. Okay. Yeah, so. I um, this isn't one of my ones, but. I want to just clarify something. This isn't one okay. of my ones. Okay. Okay. I want to just clarify something because we were talking about Soderbergh on a recent podcast and we gave our yeah. favourite Soderbergh films. And because I've been doing my binge watch, I rewatched Ocean's 12. And oh, yeah. I have, you know, it was, it was famously panned by everybody. People have mm. always said it was a bit ropey and all the rest of it. Yeah. It isn't. I rewatched it and absolutely fell in love with it. it I is saw a your tweet about it. Film to Ocean's Eleven, and that's, I think, why people hated it. It's not a very serious sequel. It is silly. It's like a big comedy movie starring Hollywood's A-listers and directed to perfection by Steven Soderbergh. Like, it's yeah. a proper movie, but it's a proper comedy. And I adored it. And so I just want to put that out there as a, as a sort of bonus underrated film, because I think that everyone <laughs> should give it another chance, because I absolutely loved it. Like, I, I don't know... What I've, I feel weird for have been missing out on this for so long. I think I, I judged it too harshly too quickly. You're the critic that keeps giving because I ask you for five and you go, well, I've got a bonus. Here's number six. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually see that you tweeted because somebody, somebody on Twitter had said you should look again at it and then you did and then you'd said, no, you're right. It's really, it's kind of really, really yeah. changed my... Yeah, somebody, changed somebody my tweeted both of us saying that 12 was their favourite one to watch and I was like, are you yeah. taking the piss? <laughs> 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 the one where Julia Roberts play someone who looks like Julia Roberts. Yeah, no, that no, is the a whole ter- It's not yeah, no that, the whole film is this no, big No, that device is terrible. No, it's so funny. It's like honestly, when you watch it again, the whole film is leading towards that moment because the whole film is a whole big meta taking the piss out of Hollywood thing. There's a bit where George Clooney and Brad Pitt, who are essentially playing director and producer, are having a conversation and they go, we're forcing it. What could we do this time? Like they're literally having a conversation about what the sequel to Ocean's Eleven could be. And there's so many jokes like that. There's a bit where Matt Damon has a conversation with Brad Pitt and says, I would like more of a central role in this one. Like it's so (laughs) funny. From the start, they are... But that's like like 22 Jump Street, isn't it? It's like, we're going to do the same thing. Way before. Exactly the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's great, but honestly. It's just, the whole thing about he's got the glass office. He said, "Wow, they must have had a lot more money this time." Yeah, <laughs> we got to do exactly the same. It looks thing. like he's in okay. a cube of ice. <laughs> right. Okay, uh, let's do the proper yeah. list now. That's okay. a good job. Okay, so you go first. So this is this is basically this is movies that we think are underrated that we'd like to make a case for, and uh, you know perhaps you'd like to go and check them out and then let us know afterwards. You can contact me and Jack. Jack is at Jack Howard. I'm at Kermode Movie because somebody had at Mark Kermode when I, I told I you. It was me. I took it, and I'm not it giving it you back you. unless you pay me a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> One million dollars. Okay, okay. So, Jack, your first choice. My first choice is Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, which is a comedy by the Lonely Island Boys, who are yeah. oh, they 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 have shaped I think my generation's sense of humour from. Before I knew what Saturday Night Live was, I knew who the Lonely Island were. They sort of transcended it and almost took the the digital uh, world up a level and made the production. Like I remember seeing, <laughs> excuse this immature, this, it, they made it, not me. I'm just going to say what it is. They made a music <laughs> video called Jizz in My Pants. And I remember seeing that for the first time on YouTube in like 2009 and being like, how, what what is this? How did they afford to make this? I, I just didn't understand it because it was just on the internet. It was this big viral music video and I fell in love with them and I've loved everything they've done. Andy Samberg is, <laughs> is just a comedic presence like no other. I think he's incredible. So underrated in general. And Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping <laughs> is a comedic tour de force. It is so funny. It's an amazing parody of the music industry. It's got quotable lines. It's got physical humour it is I love I mean the bit that comes to mind immediately because it's making fun of the documentary format there is a bit where the cameras get asked to be turned off because they're having a personal conversation and then they get attacked by loads of bees and nobody captures it it's just all audio and it is such one of the funniest (laughs) gags I've I can remember seeing it but it it went completely under the radar nobody saw it I don't it's probably made back its budget now from being on streaming services but it got completely dismissed and I think that's a crying shame because 
you don't get many proper comedies that are actually good at the moment. I think a lot of proper comedies are just not hitting the mark and it's a lot of loosely improvised stuff. Like comedians just trying to out funny each other and I hate that. Like that Judd Apatow thing taken way <laughs> too far. Um, and this out I think was each a, other. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all they're trying to do. Um, and this film I think was tight and had a, a great script and great gags and was original uh, but was also really silly, and I love that film. I remember seeing it when it came out, and I'll be honest with you, I remember thinking, mm-hmm, okay, but I, w- I wasn't anything like as impressed by it as you are. Funnily enough, hearing you talk about it now makes me think that maybe I should go back and see it again, because there are comedies that I have called wrong. Um, I was never a huge fan. Actually, I think I was quite down on Anchorman when it first came out. And then, of course, because Anchorman is on hard rotation, if you're any time of day or night, you turn on the television, Anchorman is on. And and actually, it starts to seep, you know, into your consciousness, and you realise, God, I I really missed that this was as funny as it was at the time. I kind of thought it was all right, but but not great. And then you realise how immensely quotable it is. The same is true, actually, of the um, the Austin Powers movies, which I did think were funny at the time, but actually, you can watch them again and again and again, and they continue to be they continue to be really funny. But, but um. Pop says it's called Pop Stars Never Stop Never Never Stop Not Stopping. <laughs> it's called Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping. Never Stop Never Stopping, which is specifically is that a Justin Bieber gag? Is it? A, is I think it, so. A, yeah, I think. I, I mean, I think his. I can't remember what it's called. Like, I'll find out in a second. But yeah, um, it's called something yeah, like Never Stop. I can't stop, believe I haven't mentioned this either. This almost like goes unsaid, but the songs in Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping are just as good as any other Lonely Island songs. Okay. The production is incredible. They're really funny. And they get amazing guests to come and do things. Like, I love that Michael Bolton has become like a staple of the Lonely Island and he sings the most ridiculous hooks. So first you're in a group. You introduce us to the Style Boys and Donkey Roll. Of course, we play the hell out of that. <laughs> That's a hit yeah. for us, man. And then kind of you get that breakout moment. You get a phone call from Claudia Cantrell. The one and only. And she asks you for a verse, man, on her song, Turn Up the Beast. Turn up the beast. Throw your body on the but you take that moment and instead of just like kicking a regular verse, you know what I'm saying? You did something a little different. The catchphrase verse as yeah. it's now known. Oh, yeah, yeah, hello. Um, I had been working on a catchphrase, mm-hmm. but what had happened was I just thought of so many dope ones that I was like, what if I put them all into the verse? It's kind of bitch. Say word. Dilbert. Doink to doink. Sorry, Dad. Squirrel jam. Yeah, he said so many words I didn't know. That was a game changing moment. Usually, like one catchphrase in a hit. He dropped like 30 on us in one night. Shit was crazy. DJ Tanner. Swanky pups. My 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 moped music. Costco samples like a motherfucker. Crank up the mids. Patrick Stewart. Money. You know who it is. Immediately, I said, man, this guy right here, he's going to make it big. Because when you have a catchphrase, the world is catched by your phrase. Can I just say, if, you're, if we're talking about great under, underrated mockumentaries, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. everybody talks about Spinal Tap, but there is a film by Rusty Kundiev called uh, Fear of a Black Hat, which is absolutely brilliant and was very, very little seen. Rusty Kundiev then went on and did uh, Tales from the Hood and was a very interesting uh, filmmaker. But, t- uh, but Fear of a Black Hat is a really, really funny um, mockumentary about an upcoming rap band that I remember when it came out at the time and I was convinced it was going to be really huge and then it just it, it disappeared. So that's my bonus, number six. That's, uh, you know, because it's a, it's a really good film and I think that's you'd enjoy Ocean's it 12. as well. Yeah, that's my Ocean's 12. Okay, so at number five for me is, um, is a film called Second Coming um, by Debbie Tucker Green, who is um, a British playwright, um, styles her name with lowercase D, T, G, Debbie Tucker Green, all, all lowercase. And I know this because when I was reviewing the film for The Observer, I had a kind of fight with the subs about it's all lowercase. And someone, they said, no, it's not. I mean, it's, you know, names begin with capital letters. That's how style. I went, yeah, but the whole point is Debbie Tucker Green doesn't do it like that. So this is a really interesting low-key drama about a woman who thinks that she is having the second coming of Christ. And um, the drama is really, it's a family drama about her and her partner and about a fracture in their relationship. And, you know, Idris Elba is probably the most famous name in the film. Um, so it's it, it has star value, but not huge kind of marquee star value. And I saw it 
uh, on a, a Tuesday afternoon um, when I was doing the national press shows. It was the last film screening of the week, and I recently wrote a piece for the Observer, and they asked us to pick fifty, you know, fifty works of art that had changed your life and why. Not each person picking fifty, each person picking four or five. And I mentioned this film because. It taught me two things. Firstly, it taught me that some of the most exciting things you see are the things that you have no expectation of at all. It also taught me to never pick the film of the week until I've got right through to the end, because it can be the last film of the week, the one about which you have heard nothing that is the most interesting. When we were doing The Secrets of Cinema, um, uh, one about Christmas movies, I used this because it, it's kind of a... There is a religious thing going on in it, but it also it, it might well have nothing to do with religion in the same way as Quinceanera, which is a film I absolutely love. I, I think that film is, is wonderful. Uh, and in the case of Second Coming, I just saw it and I was really moved by it and really touched by it and really mesmerised by it. I mean, you can read it religiously or you can read it in a completely secular fashion and it's got great performances and it was very very little scene and I've I've never had any contact with Debbie Tucker Green or anything like that I've never met her or corresponded with her I don't think she's on Twitter or anything and I and I, I don't know whether she knows that I like the film as much as I do but I led with it in The Observer and um, we use it in Secrets of Cinema and it's one of those films that I've found the I've always found myself saying if you have, have you seen this film and one of the reasons for that is that a colleague of mine who also uh, writes for a, a, a very respectable newspaper said to me the week afterwards you know that was a that was a really interesting choice to lead on that film and actually I wish that I had because you're right it is a better film than anyone and quite often the whole thing about film criticism is it, it should just be to shine a light on something that might otherwise have gone under the wire because I mean for example had you heard of it before no not at all yeah, so it. I was it surprised is one to see that films. Idris Elba was in it. I when when you yeah. given the title of it and I and I looked it up. I I had yeah. never ever heard of it. Well, it's really well worth checking out, and uh, as I said, it, it it's it's it was had a very 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 low key response, but I think it's I think it's really terrific, and I'd just like to fly the flag for it because if anyone hasn't seen it, it's you know it's a really really interesting conundrum of a film, but it just went you know, uh, kind of unannounced. Dad, do you want it to be a boy or a girl? How early? Early, early. They said you couldn't have no more. You never even told me you was trying. I weren't trying. She ain't a bad mother. Oh, she's a great mother. She's nervous. And what? I... Your mother didn't want me to touch her, yeah. right? I ain't stupid. Just try to deny it! You ain't nothing that nobody would want! Do you still think you're giving birth to the second coming? What's your next choice? My number four is Bernie. The 2011 mm. film directed by Richard Linklater, um, yeah. starring Jack Black. Good choice. Uh, I hadn't seen this film until very recently, um, and almost was putting <laughs> it off, because I'd never heard much about it. I was like, oh yeah, I, I, that one with Jack Black in it was kind of my impression. I didn't know that it was Richard Linklater, but my housemate, uh, Jacob, is especially a big fan of it, and of Jack Black. And he was like, can it's we watch basically- Bernie, please? Can we watch Bernie? It's based on a true story. Am I right in thinking that? It is. It is. Yeah. And and I'm so glad I knew that before going into it, but I didn't know anything about the true story. So actually, I think here I won't say much about it just okay. in case somebody is intrigued by it. But it's Rich, Richard Linklater. It's one of my favourites of his now. It is one of Jack Black's best performances. It's up there with High Fidelity and it's up there with School of Rock. He is unlike himself in this film. And I remember from the opening sequence, which is mesmerizing and gross and creepy but you can't take your eyes off it from that moment i i turned to jacob and i went i love this i'm going to love this like Mm. it's so brilliant and weird and funny and dark and tense and it's got this really weird style in it it's kind of a mix of being a documentary and being uh just a narrative a traditional narrative uh hollywood film and some of the people in it, I believe, are the real people that went through it. So they're real interviews, and then some of them are actors, and you yeah. cannot tell the difference. Yeah. Uh, and it really, so we should, really we helps should, settle we, you in. 
we should say just to contextualize this because I, we, I absolutely don't want to give anything away and incidentally when i saw it i didn't know anything about the story at all and i was surprised by how dark the story is incidentally but mm-hmm. just so jack black plays this character who's a kind of a bit of a misfit and he he sort of in, he inveigles his way into the confidence of do you want to just say a little bit about the setup what? of it just so that people get an idea yes so he is um he he embalms people that's his he, his job is to make the dead look alive uh and and he takes it very seriously he takes it very seriously seriously and he thinks that there's a great respect to it and that it's a necessary part of the process and he understands that it's for the people but there is and I, and I don't really know how to phrase this because it's a constant question in yep. the in in the film about whether or not he's infiltrating this woman's life or whether or not he really wants to be there um but yes he he starts sort of uh being a part of this very rich woman's life and almost becoming like her assistant and then her partner and they do everything together um and the town is a very small town america and everyone knows about it and everyone talks mm-hmm. about it um and then something happens <laughs> and it becomes a story about a man under a great amount of pressure uh, and a, in, a, in a web of uh, trouble. <laughs> I mean, I think it's worth saying that that what happens is is all is all the darker for the fact that it is based on a true story. Yeah, and, and that's also, why it's amazing to know going in. Like, the way that yeah. Fargo starts with, this is a true story... Yeah. And it isn't. <laughs> it no. isn't. It's not at all. This is an amazing trick by the Coen brothers. It is amazing to go into this knowing that this really did, to some extent, happen and that some of the people even in the film are the real people that are actually retelling it. And it is interesting to know that. And it's interesting as well, as, a, as just a format, to be able to go between documentary and narrative like it's, like it's nothing. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. Like, and it's done with such confidence, and it's got such a, a tight grip on the reins that you don't ever feel like it's playing with form. It just feels like it was always meant to be that way. I remember when I saw it again, as I said, not knowing anything about it. I saw it in um, Mr. Young's uh, Soho screening rooms in, in Darbley Street in in an evening screening, six thirty screening, and I knew nothing. I didn't even know it was a Richard Linklater film. I just knew it was called Bernie, and it started at six thirty. That was it. <laughs> and I remember feeling really uncomfortable as the tone of it changed, as you know, as as what happens happens. And I rem- I I do remember squirming whilst watching it, thinking this is so odd, this is mm-hmm. so strange. And one of the things that's really strange about it is that. Um, this is not to say that he's not versatile, but Jack Black has a certain type of person that he plays, and this isn't that person. Yeah, but what it is the, the most unlike Jack Black? It's the most unlike Jack Black. But what they you do is they use the fact that it's Jack Black to sucker you in. So yep. the fact that it's Jack Black, who we all kind of love, and he's cuddly and all that stuff, you know, and he's funny and charming, they use that to make you feel the same way as the person who then effectively sort of invites him into their life, or do they, or don't they? <laughs> That's why I say inveigle at the beginning. You can kind of understand, okay, but it's Jack Black. But it isn't Jack Black, but it's kind of... I thought it was a very interesting use of Sodom Plus. I thought from his point of view, it was a really brave role to do. And it kind of reminded me of... Um, you know, Robin Williams in One Hour Photo. It's just not mm-hmm. the film that you would expect them to make. And you, and they the same thing of using Robin Williams in that in that movie as it's Robin yeah. Williams. Yeah, He's a, he, yeah, he was Peter Pan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> okay, I think that, so. That would be my it. pick. Marjorie, Marjorie, are you okay? Marjorie, say something to me. Marjorie, can you talk to me? Marjorie, can you say something? Oh, no, 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 Jesus, no, 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 what have I done? Oh, God, what have I done? Please tell me what to do. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Now, that's a really good choice. And again, I think you're right. That is something that is overlooked. Okay, so my number four. These aren't, incidentally, in in, for me. No, no particular order, but... They're just the order. Um... 
a film called Adoration. Now, the reason this hasn't got um, the acclaim that it deserves yet is that it, it hasn't opened here. I just had a quick look on... Um, I never do this usually. We just had a quick look on Rotten Tomatoes where it has a very high score, but I don't know how many people have reviewed it. Here's why I'm flagging this up. Adoration is a film by Fabrice Duveltz, and it's a kind of um, fairy tale horror fantasy about two characters, uh, male and female, involved in a kind of folie à deux, and they are essentially on a on the run together and they have a kind of destructive uh, relationship which it also seems to be a kind of like a coming of age love story and th this film played at the Strasbourg International uh, Fantasy Film Festival and when it played there um, the only print they had was a print that didn't have English subtitles so I didn't see it although uh, uh, um, Alan Jones who was my very close colleague said look it doesn't matter because the film tells its story in such a visual way that you can understand it even if you don't see it with subtitles so then I saw a version of it that didn't have subtitles and I I was really really impressed by it and then the, then I then saw a version with subtitles and I was even more impressed by it and I got in touch with the filmmaker to say I think this film is great you know this is really terrific and it's not no, no surprise everyone at the festival loved it and it turned out that they were having trouble finding a distributor for it in the UK. Oh, wow. And um, now, whether that situation has changed or not, I don't know. If, somebody, if somebody's picked it up, then great. If, if nobody's picked it up, here's my plea. Adoration is a really, really interesting, exciting, horror-inflected, fairy tale fantasy, brilliantly played, really well-filmed, really atmospheric, chilling, but also heartfelt and strange and magical and moody and i cannot imagine a world in which distributors don't just fall over themselves and go yeah of course we're going to have that but it quite often happens and because i don't do film festivals very much i'm only now discovering this that films play at film festivals that are great and then they never see the light of day in the country that you, that you're from. So well, you see a film, a film in a you know in a, in a film festival, and then you're in the UK and it doesn't come out. Dogs don't wear pants. Incidentally, was one of the films that I I didn't know whether that was going to be a, you know a big success in Britain. That was that played at um at Strasbourg and it was great. And then of course it re recently opened here. You know, it's a Finnish BDSM drama with the title Dogs Don't Wear Pants, which is, let's be honest, not the most saleable title in the world. But uh, JP, but JP Valkenbach came on the, the MK3D show that I do, and if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you would have heard his interview. He's very dry, very, very funny, but in that very, very kind of dry way. Anyway, as I said, no, it played at Strasbourg. It's apparently opened in uh, Belgium um, January of this year. So if a, if a British distributor has picked it up, let me know. And uh, great, and I'll you know I'll trumpet it when it gets uh, released. And if no one has picked it up, then get your fingers out and pick it up because it is a film that is really well worth seeing. The response at Strasbourg was terrific, and it's called Adoration by Fabrice Duvels. And I'm just surprised that people aren't all over it already. And Jack, I want you to remember that when you you heard it here first, okay? All right, yeah, yeah. No, of course, okay. yeah. All credit to Mark Kermode for how exactly. good this film is. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Jack, on to your next choice. My next choice is Don John, which is Joseph Gunn-Levitt's first and only feature film as director, I believe, at the moment, at present. 
Uh, came out in 2013. It is a modern day retelling of Don Juan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is about a man who has an addiction to uh, internet porn uh, as he tries to sort of navigate his romantic life. Um, and it stars Scarlett Johansson and Julianne Moore. And I, the reason why I love it so much, I it was the first, believe it or not, it was the first film I ever saw in the cinema on my own. Um, so no. I have very like, yeah. So 2013, I just moved to London and I really wanted to go see this movie. Wow. I'm a big fan of Joseph Gordon-Levitt and uh, everyone was busy and I really wanted to go see this movie and I was like, no, well, sod it. I'm going to go on my own and uh, loved it. And I think that it's a very showy piece of work for a director. I think that he transcends into different genres and and plays with the form of it in a really nice way it's very obvious but it it really works so he goes from sort of uh slick cool sort of and then the music as well that all shifts and changes as it goes it goes from being quite electronic and thumpy into uh, a romantic comedy like the, the the palette changes the way that the camera swell swirls around them changes and then as soon as julianne moore is introduced and it becomes way more of like an indie movie it becomes more handheld and improvised and longer takes on on just people having conversations and the music becomes more acoustic and i think there's clearly a lot of thought about the mood in in the movie i think the central performances are great i think the editing is great i think some of it is a little bit theatrical in terms of like the way that john and his best friends interact with each other they're all very like buddies in a movie that's my like big criticism yeah. of it is that they're all like hey man how are you doing oh, it's so good to see you oh you, you get that with, you get with that girl Ugh. it's all a bit like put on but the rest of it i think is a real great uh exploration of masculinity and of love and expectations of each other and yeah, I think it's I think it's just really good. I think it's not talked about enough, and it was it's weirdly overlooked because I think it's a really impressive piece of work. Okay, Jack, here's what I'm going to do because I haven't thought about Don John before. I reviewed it when it came out. All right, it was I did it in the, the week it was released. I've literally just looked my review up, and I have got no. I haven't read this review since it came out. I'm okay. going to read you what I wrote about it. And incidentally, bear in mind that I get things wrong all the time, as you know more than anybody, okay? So I want to, <laughs> I want to see what you... It's a three-star review for me, which means waving thumb. Okay, fine. So, no longer a taboo, the subject of sex porn addiction, sex slash porn addiction, has provided the driving force for a diverse array of movies recently, ranging from Steve McQueen's soul-searching shame to the lightweight frivolity of Thanks for Sharing. There's even a speech in this serio-comic drama from actor-turned-writer-director Joseph Gordon-Levitt that eerily echoes Beban Kidron's unsettling documentary In Real Life, in which a young man explains the isolating solipsistic pleasures of his online porn obsession. Gordon-Levitt plays John, a latter-day Lothario whose real-life conquests leave him longing for the unreal fantasias of hardcore. When he finally meets the girl of his dreams, Scarlett Johansson, he promises to put aside the porn but can't do so any more than she can renounce the dopey Hollywood love stories that fuel her own self-centred dreams. Were you with me so far? Am I being fair so far? I'm with you, yeah. Yep. Okay. Only when he starts to connect with a night school classmate, Julianne Moore, who's experienced both the pleasure and pain of genuine human interaction, does John begin to understand what it means to lose yourself in someone else. Refreshingly frank about the perils of commodification and objectification, Don John is is a snappily directed affair that benefits hugely from Moore's terrifically grounding presence. In other hands, her crucial role could be as trite and cliched as the macho masturbation rituals that define the first act. Yet such is her easygoing gravitas that the entire movie seems to recalibrate and rebalance itself around her, shifting convincingly into something more than surface-heavy evocation of sterile on-screen onanism. Gordon-Levitt has a number of snappy visual ticks up his sleeve, the repetitive rules of the game mirroring the rigmarole of confession, which veer between the cute and the cutesy, before subsiding as the adolescent fixations recede, making, w- may- making way for more rewarding revelations. Hats off, too, to Glenn Headley and uh, Tony Danza as the scrappy mom and pop struggling to hear themselves bicker over the omnipresent drone of the TV. So, actually, I would like to say I was fairly positive about it. I think do you, you think were. I was fair? Do you think I was fair? I think you were, yeah. I think that there is... Um, I think that you, you've basically summarised it there really fairly and... It sounds like it didn't connect with you as much, but you can absolutely objectively see what it was trying to do. But 
I, I like for example the, the the repetition that's used in the film of everything that he does about making his bed and and, and working out and I think he says like there's only three things I really care about in life which is my my pad my ride and my girls I think that's what he says mm-hmm. and like I know maybe it's his family some I can't remember what it is but he has like a, a, repet- a repetitive way that he lives his life and I really like the moment in the film when he questions faith. Like when he's he's just in he's in the routine of life so much that he's not really present. He's not yeah. he's not present at all about uh, in in any way. It's not just about sex. He's never present. He's never there. Yeah. Um. He, the way that he puts it is that he never loses himself, and he's always just in his own head, and that comes out in a lot of aggression. And you can see that relationship that he has with his father as well, and and the pressure that he has to be like this is what a man is like. And then when he goes to confession, he's constantly just like saying it like he's a robot and then one day when he decides to really confess and have a conversation and almost have a therapy he reaches out therapeutically and the the nothing changes and the reverend speaks to him the same way even though something's changed and shifted for him there's something about the way that he's being spoken he's like oh no 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 isn't this different now like he doesn't yeah. he, he just there's this weird question of why have i been doing this for so long like what, what you know and there's some very obvious pieces of imagery that I still very much like where he usually just goes straight to the gym and then at the end he decides to go and join some people playing basketball again that sense of community and, and friendship and and being part of something bigger than just yourself um, yeah and I, I think that it's a really overlooked film and really snappily directed and I think that it's interesting that Julianne Moore is essentially playing like a she's you know archetypal mother figure in it yeah. and absolutely sort of takes care of him but she has her own it's not explored too much, but you can. There, there is a, a storyline about her losing, I think, a child and her husband in a car crash, and that's treated complexly as well. Like it gives it moments for her to, like she's supposed to join Joseph Gordon-Levitt for a sexy bath, and she doesn't go in because she has a little moment where she's real. Well, I'm projecting, but I realise that she's thinking, "Oh, I've just invited a new man into my home." And I wasn't thinking about how that would feel. And then she goes and sits with that and they end up having a very nice moment together. And, and that, that is, is there and, and, and not treated like something to just give her so that it, she seems more interesting. It feels yeah. like Julia Moore really carries that. Um, yeah, I loved it. And it's very funny and, and on point. I, yeah, I like it a lot. Do you have friends that have liked, because it sounds to me like you've talked about this with, with others. Do you have other friends who like it as much as you do? I don't think I do. I, I, I think that it's just something... I, I didn't watch it uh, for a while, and I watched it again quite recently and had that reaction of, like, why is no one talking about this film? Yeah. Like, this, 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 there's, there's so many great... There's, there's things, that, like I say, like the, the Friends stuff, I think, is a bit overdone. But there's things in it that I think are so great and, and I haven't seen explored in that way. Like It's quite a poppy, accessible film that's exploring, I think, some quite deep subjects and yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is is just a, an incredible screen presence I wish he was in more stuff I feel like I haven't seen him <laughs> in stuff for a while it was around the time that he was in The Dark Knight and uh, he was in 50-50 and then there was Don John and there was Inception and that was sort of a rise of Joseph Gordon-Levitt and then he sort of tailed off a little bit um, I, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt if you're listening come back I miss you <laughs> so that's to say so British distributors pick up adoration if you haven't already Joseph Gordon-Levitt Make more films. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you decide what color. I'm going to meet you at the registers. Just want to pick up a few things and cleaning products, okay? What? Where are you going? What? Where are you going? Nah, I'm almost out of Swiffer pads. I'm just going to pick a few up. <laughs> what pads? What? With a Swiffer. I don't know what that is. You don't know what a Swiffer? What is that? Seriously? No. Oh, babe, it's the best. You got to try it. What do you do for your floors? You got those nice floors in your place. What do you, mop? No. Well, what do you do? I sweep it up with a broom. No, I mean to really clean it. I don't know. The housekeeper does it. Oh, right. Yeah. Listen, I'll just be a second, okay? No, no, no. Come here. What? You're not going to go buy a mop right now. It's embarrassing, okay? Oh, babe, I told you. It's not a mop. It's these pads. I don't care. You shouldn't be doing your own housework anyway. Why not? Because you're a grown man. I mean, you shouldn't be cleaning your own floors. I enjoy doing it. Look, you know what? I'll call Rosa for you. She'll do your place. Who? 
Rose in my cleaning lady. She's great. Oh, babe, no. You know, thanks, but uh, I like doing it myself. What, are you kidding me? Come on, you don't got to be doing that. Nah, babe, she won't do it right anyway. You got to vacuum my carpet a certain way or else it looks... Don't over- talk about vacuuming in front of me. Come on. On to uh, my next choice, which is um, Morvan Caller. Now, this isn't a particularly controversial choice because the thing with Morvan Caller is... You're quite it- famously sort of a big fan of this film. Yeah, but, I mean, it, that makes me sound smarter than I, than I am. I think... So Morvan Caller is the, the Lynn Ramsey film that always gets overlooked. I know you're a huge Lynn Ramsey fan. I mean, you and I have talked about how much you wouldn't have Joker if you didn't have You Were Never Really Here. Um, when we were making Secrets of Cinema, we had a whole section on Ratcatcher because it's a brilliant coming-of-age movie. I think that um, We Need to Talk About Kevin is kind of one of the defining films of the era. Um, my son uh, was studying it when he was doing you know, A-level film studies. And we got it's on the curriculum? You know, wow, you know, how did that happen? It's actually on the curriculum. Morvan Caller is the one that comes after Ratcatcher, and it's an adaptation of a book, again, and it's basically a story about um, a central character played by Samantha Morton, whose partner dies and leaves behind a manuscript with instructions for what she is to do with it. But she then takes the manuscript on as her own, and it's about identity and how you you assume somebody else's identity or how you know how identities become fluid and it's as with all of lynn ramsey's stuff because she's such a visual filmmaker it's a film which is very poorly described with words i mean one of the things i've discovered i don't know whether you feel the same thing but if you start talking about a lynn ramsey film one of the worst things that critics do and i'm very guilty of this is you quote lines from the script you say, and this character says this, and then this other character says this, but then there's this key moment when this character says this, when what you should really be saying is, there's this moment when the screen is blue and then it goes green, or there's this <laughs> moment when the editing speeds up after having been very slow, or there's a moment when the soundtrack does this thing after which contrapuntly, you know, clashes with this other thing. And when you're talking about Lynn Ramsey movies, it's really, really hard to describe any of them in terms of plot. You know, Lynn Ramsey just creates a mood better yeah. than any director. And I think that the first thing I noticed, because I hadn't seen this until you told me it was on your list, so I made a point of watching. Oh, great, uh, great, great. Yeah, and the first thing I noticed that I immediately knew it was a Lynn Ramsey film, obviously I knew anyway, but like when I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely Lynn Ramsey, is that it opens with that swelling drone that sort of pulsating drone and you're like what is that noise it's just immediately uncomfortable and you don't know what you're seeing and it opens with the close-ups of uh someone spooning her boyfriend and smelling the back of his head and then it's slowly revealed that he's dead on the kitchen floor Mm. and has committed suicide and immediately you're it's, it's immediately unsettling and i love the first act more than anything else in the film i think that for me it sort of got away from itself and and, and it still is me it's telling the story it wants to tell but i found it less compelling the more it went on okay and i found the the exploration of her character super intriguing and i thought there's never a better metaphor for someone who's avoiding their real problems than a dead boyfriend in the kitchen like <laughs> she just leaves it there uh, and there's never been a better metaphor for that and it and it and that and that is such a, a, a an incredible device for revealing character how does she react to this thing in her life yeah. what does it say about her what's the first thing she does like there's such interesting things to to find out about her and we haven't mentioned her name yet but samantha morton is absolutely incredible in it yeah no i think samantha morton is i think samantha morton is brilliant in everything but i think this is the, the career best performance for her. i think this is the kind of thing when you you want to go uh the jury exhibit one Thank you very much. One of the greatest actresses of her generation. And I mean, just, I mean, I tried for ages to get her on the MK3D show and I finally did it. And in fact, I got her and Lynn Ramsey on the show together, which was like a particular pleasure. But have you ever seen Samantha Morton be anything less than brilliant in anything? Even, and she's been in some films that are not great, but she's never less than brilliant. I mean, I even just think about Minority Report and how weird of a role that is for anybody and how much she sells it yeah, the and empath yeah just what a strange it's just all emotive like all she's doing the entire time is shaking and twitching and and then you know obviously the, the role grows but immediately you believe that she is 
what the film is telling you she yeah, is. Yeah. It's not like, oh, there's a person pretending to do a weird thing in sci-fi. I fully... she's She completely commits, and and she's incredible. Um, some of the stuff that, like, because it's so fresh in my head, some of the stuff that I, I, I sort of appreciated about, about this film... Again, mostly in, in sort of the, sort of towards the first act, I really liked uh, the phone call that she has. I think it's like maybe the second scene of the film yeah. where she's at a train station and the payphone just rings. And number one, an amazing directing choice by Lynn Ramsey to literally side us on a phone call with her to learn about who she is. Because she literally just like... It reminded me of the beginning of Ocean's Eleven where you just have a shot of George Clooney telling you who he is. Like, I'm Danny Ocean. I do this. I did this. I won't do this again. Like she's on the phone and she literally says like her name. And then you, you, you can just imagine that it's a worried mother on the other end of the, of the call. Cause she says like, Oh, I'm sure she'll be okay. And you yeah, yeah. can feel that she's trying to talk about herself. And I think that that is just an amazing piece of writing and directing just captured on screen. And I, I also think that, What's brilliant about it, you know, you talk about that thing at the beginning about the the, the tactility, that that scene. Lynn Ramsey does tactility better than almost any yeah. any director, and even I mean I, I, I mean your your complaint that it not complaint your criticism that it that it that it, that it, it doesn't sustain the first act. You're not alone in thinking that. A lot of people do. I think it does, but then I think partly it's because. I mean, you know, I was just so sucked in in the first... And I hadn't read the book, incidentally. I didn't know where the story was going at all. I knew nothing about it at all. I just was thinking, I'm off with this. And I thought, and uh, I mean, I've said this before, my partner, Linda Ruth Williams, reviewed that film for um, for a Sight and Sound. And we both thought it was going to be the next train spotting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how... That's how big we thought it was going to be. It's got the same dirt and grit. Yeah, but, uh, but of, of that. But no one saw it. It was like train spotting was on everyone's screen, and then Morvan Caller came. I mean, you know, you're a huge Lynn Ramsey fan, and you hadn't seen it. No. Yeah. Because um, it's the I'm one that everyone forgets. You know, it's the one that everyone kind of forgets about, and actually, it's such it's such an interesting story, and such a and, mm. and you know. I just, from my point of view, I just think, and also one of the things I love about it is partly because it is the great overlooked one. It, it's, a, I'm glad you saw it. It's the smart choice. It's the smart choice. Well, well done for bringing that. <laughs> the smart choice. Um, I'm glad you saw it. I'm glad you liked. It. I know you, I, I can tell you don't like it as much as me, but I'm glad you. I'm glad but you liked it. It's st- certainly sticking with me. There's a couple of other things. Not to spend too much time on this, but I, I really, what you said about identity, I think is is very prevalent in it. I really liked that we got to see who she was when she was alone yeah. with her boyfriend and and and, and it weirdly like Bernie it's quite dark and goes oh, to places Oh it's really that you dark it's really really dark yeah The decisions and actually the decisions that she makes are just psychopathic at times Yeah um obviously um and I like seeing who she is around people and who she is alone and I again I think that the the dead boyfriend in the kitchen is an amazing <laughs> sort of exaggerated version yeah, yeah, yeah. of like putting pressure on normal people on who they are when they're alone and who they are around other people and the, 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 the personalities that we create and, and who the true self is. I wanted to ask you, because mm. there's a fascination in the movie with insects. Yeah, yeah. She herself even says, I like the ants. Yeah. And I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on, on the, cause I couldn't really like connect it with anything, but I could, I just noticed that there was this, this fascination with the earth and with ants and with insects and Yeah. I think, well, my own reading of that is, I think it's to do with, I was saying before about Lynn Ramsey being very tactile. I think it's that thing about the minute, tiny, crawling details. I mean, one of the things that Lynn Ramsey constantly does is is skin, you know, is images mm-hmm. of close-ups of skin. And I just thought it was, I mean, I'm sure it means more than this. And I'm sure that if you ask Lynn Ramsey, although actually it's not true. If you ask Lynn Ramsey, you just say, oh, I don't know, it was just some ants. Yeah. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. I was just I there. Love, yeah. I, just, I just made yeah. the film. It was just some ants. You know? I don't know. I just sort of turned the camera on. Joaquin just sort of did it. And I just sort of put the, f- I don't even know I'm a genius. <laughs> she is brilliant like that though, isn't it? Because honestly, yeah. that's what happens. You, you, you say to it, this is an incredible thing with me. We need to talk about it. I mean, you have that, you have that image and then you do the thing and then it cut the thing and she goes, does it? I don't know. I just, just yeah. Film the book. 
I love I love that she's like that because she's clearly <laughs> operating from a place of emotion rather than a place of yeah. uh, of analy- uh, being anal- analytical. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think that that is that's so obvious when you watch what she does because you yeah. can subconscious well you can. Uh, like intellectually sort of go you do this amazing thing and she just goes oh I'm just doing it because it feels right yeah yeah I, I remember asking her about the music choices once in um, in Kevin and she said well my mother really liked that song like, <laughs> okay I'm sure that's a-. and you know you know that there would never be a moment when Stanley Kubrick would go well, I just like the look of that thing, so I just stuck yeah. it in the frame. You know? So I, I really like that. I really like that. She's like, what, what were you, so what were you going to say about the? Impact? I was going to say that for me, it's just to do with that thing about because one of the things about Morven Keller is although the story follows her in all these places, it's a very close-up film. It's you know, mm. it starts in that close-up moment. Even the poster image, which was that kind of slightly distorted image of her face, it's a film that puts you slightly too close to everything. You know, you feel like you're you're like you're intruding on the action almost, and particularly at the very very beginning. And I just thought it was it was that it's the thing about you know insects are small and tactile, and it just felt like it was part of that. Even kind Morven of mosaic. seems to have like a an obsession with them. Like she at one point she follows a cockroach. Like she sees a cockroach go under the door when she's in Spain, and she just follows yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. And it, it feels like she herself has got some sort of fascination with it and there was something intriguing about it but, but I couldn't figure out But, but don't you think because you say that thing when she's in Spain I mean one of the things that you forget Morven Keller is a trap I mean she travels but yeah. it never feels like a film that, that travels it always feels like a film that's kind of really in her head don't you think it's and I like, really liked as well that she, it's set in Scotland but she's not Scottish yeah, yeah. it immediately just sort of makes you like oh she's she doesn't belong there yeah 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 like, uh, there's, there's something immediately apparent about her being a fish out of water yeah yeah it doesn't belong anywhere it doesn't belong anywhere Merry Christmas Pip oh Lana didn't get you anything sorry I don't know that it's not a big deal come here don't worry he'll come back Lana comes to the bakery inspection <sighs> I'll meet you again, is it nine, right? Lana, please make your way to bakery section. Well, there we go. That's part one of my conversation about underrated movies with Jack Howard. Because the conversation went on for a while, we've divided it into two podcasts, and the second part will be available on Thursday. So check in then and download part two, in which we get to our numbers one and two in our most underrated movies list. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.